You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, over the last two weeks, we've been celebrating what God has been doing at the Asbury Revival for the last two weeks, just to see how people have been praying and confessing and repenting and turning their hearts to the Lord and worshiping. It's been incredible. Culminated this last Thursday night in a live stream event. It was the Collegiate Day of Prayer. And I don't think it was by happenstance that uh, this year, which they do this every year, that it was scheduled that the live stream for the Collegiate Day of Prayer for college campuses all over America would be live streamed from Asbury University. I don't think there's any chance that that was just an accident. And on that night, as people tuned into that live stream, people prayed. And there's a picture I want to put on the screen of just that night there at the revival, uh, there during this uh, live stream as they're praying together. This is a picture you see of just a, a full room, right? But this is how it started two weeks earlier. This may be the earliest picture of the revival at Asbury. 19 students. They stayed together after a chapel service on February 8th to sing, to pray, to read scripture. They were confessing and sharing with each other and talking. And it is now estimated that over a two-week period of time, over 100,000 people went to that place in Kentucky. Kevin Brown, who's the president of the university there, he said, I find it fitting that what started with college students on our campus is ending with college students joined in prayer and worshiping across the country. This was on that Thursday night. He said, of course, it's not ending. (laughs) It's just continuing wherever God's people are. He said, while it's true that Thursday evening will conclude our last service in Hughes Auditorium here on the campus, we know this is not a conclusion of hungry hearts that are being stirred, that are responding by seeking Jesus Christ. He said, over the last few weeks, we've been honored to steward and host services and the guests who have traveled from wide and far to attend them. But the trajectory of renewal meetings is always outward, and that is beginning to occur. We continue to hear inspiring stories of hungry hearts that are setting aside daily routines and seeking Christ at schools, churches, communities in the U.S. and abroad. And that's what's happening. And I want to take just a moment today that we would join together in prayer. This is what the early church did. They joined constantly in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And I want us just to take a moment right now, not only to thank God with gratitude for what he's doing across this land and there, but just... We want to pray that what God did in their hearts there, God will do in our hearts here. So let's just pray together. Let's pray for that right now. And so, Heavenly Father, it it is with gratitude that we have been given a place, a seat to see you moving in people and in our land and Lord, we're grateful for it. And God, we are praying that what has been happening in the hearts of people there would happen in our hearts here, that it would not be something that's confined to a building or a place. Jesus, you never intended for your glory to be confined to a building or a place. Instead, your glory is to be made known throughout the world, that your name and your fame would be known throughout 
this world to every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue. And Lord, today we just want to pray. Lord, we pray that not only would we be devoted to prayer, but we would pray what Jesus prayed. The Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that you would give us today our daily bread. Lord, you would forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, that we would be delivered from evil. And so, Lord, we're praying this. Lord, we're praying that we might know the depths of your love, how high, wide, deep it is, that it surpasses knowledge, and yet we would be filled with you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would have humble hearts, for we know blessed are those who are spiritually broken and bankrupt, the poor in spirit. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes, the eyes to be enlightened, to know the hope to which you've called us. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit and that you would fill us and that today we would hear from you and then we would have the courage by your Spirit to obey you. And we pray that you would start a revival right here in our hearts and in our lives and in our place, in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the God's people say, amen. That's what we're praying for. And you know, as we pray for that, uh, part of that praying is, is that if we want to see God begin to renew people's hearts, we, we've got to be a part of his mission to do it. And I just want to mention really quick, I know a lot of you that were here for the Willie Robertson event several weeks ago. We had a lot of fun on a Sunday afternoon and evening when Willie was here and spoke to us. And something that Willie said, I just want to remind you of, he said, if, if someone gave me a choice of having your preacher here or anyone on your staff here preach to, to share the gospel with a thousand people or if I had the choice that a thousand people would go and share the gospel, I choose a thousand people every time. And I just want you to know, so do we. We choose the thousand people every time. And that's why today we have some disciple-making trainings we want to invite you to. Because I think the question that we have to ask is, are you making a disciple? Are you a disciple who's making disciples? Have you baptized someone? Have you shared the gospel with someone and helped them know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Because that's the heart of Jesus, is that his disciples make disciples. That we be followers who don't just follow Jesus, but we help other people follow Jesus. So today, we're going to help you do that. We've got three trainings today, training one, two, and three. And these begin at 2.30 this afternoon. And and honestly, until you've actually been through four of these trainings, you're not even going to have the big picture of everything that we're trying to do and what Jesus would call us to do. And so I just want to invite all of you today, if you haven't been to training one, come to one. If you haven't been to two yet, come to two. If you haven't been to three yet, come to three. And today we want to help equip you as a church so that every one of us is making disciples. And we feel equipped to do it. We know how to do it. We understand the call of Jesus to do it. So we want to invite you to come. So I'm going to pray that you would do that as well. And uh, so we're excited about that. So if you're coming to one, it'll be in room 261, right over here by entrance three. If you're coming to session two, you'll go upstairs to mezzanine one. And if you're coming to session three, you'll go to the next steps room. It's right out here in the central lobby. That's where we're going to be today. Would love to have you come back. 2.30 today, be a part of our disciple training. Okay, with that, I, I want to share with you something that happened last Sunday. It was February 19th. And my niece, Nala... Bushnell was baptized. It was, it was at 3 o'clock p.m. 
And so when church was over yesterday afternoon, uh, our family headed down to uh, Joplin and we got to witness her baptism. As my brother, uh, as you see in the picture there, got to baptize Nala. It was, it was just powerful. Even as, as Ricky talked about how they had been uh, talking about that moment when Peter got out of the boat and he's walking on the water and, and he takes his eyes off Jesus and the, the waves and the wind are around him and he begins to sink and he cries out to Jesus to save me. And Ricky had been asking Nala what that made her think of. And she's like, it makes me think of baptism and not just because of the water, only that, but because uh, he had to put his faith in Jesus, that he was crying out to Jesus to save him. And, and she was just talking about how she could picture that even in her baptism as she put her faith in Jesus. It's just a precious moment. And of course, we love this because we love to see parents baptizing their kids as well. So then I got to pray for Nala. They asked me to come up and just pray over her. And then I got to share some words with her. And I was just telling her, as excited as I am to see her now following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, I'm equally as excited to see Nala start making disciples of Jesus to help other people follow Jesus. She's just like Jesus was baptized and it began his mission, his ministry. So now as she is baptized, she now has a mission and a ministry to go. And so we just talked about that. I was excited about it. And then we went back to my parents' house for the party. We had a celebration. I I mean, I, I know we celebrate birthdays, but isn't a spiritual birthday even more important than your physical birthday? And so we had a party and my mom, she cooked like my mom cooks and it was more than we could eat. It was a blast. And we had the balloons and there were presents and then knowledge. She even had the cake where it said, Nala said yes to Jesus. And we ate the cake and we had so much fun because guess what heaven does when somebody comes back home? What does heaven do? Heaven celebrates. Heaven celebrates. There's a party. The angels are rejoicing. And so that's what we did. We, we, we just had a party. And you know, this whole concept of a party comes from Scripture. Luke 15 demonstrates it. I mean, Jesus talks about this. He talks about a man who lost a sheep. He had a hunter sheep, lost one. When he finds a sheep, what does he do? He goes to all of his friends and family. He says, rejoice with me. Let's rejoice. Let, let's party together. Why? Because I found the sheep. The sheep's been found. What was lost is found. And then Jesus tells a story about a woman who loses a coin. And when she finds the coin, she calls the family and friends together to celebrate. And and it even causes Jesus in that moment as he's telling the story. He's like, you know what? Even the angels in heaven, they're rejoicing when a lost sinner comes home. There's a party. There's a celebration. Which then leads Jesus to say, you know, there was a man who had a son. And the son wanted to leave his father and go do his own thing and go his own way. And it wasn't until he hit bottom that he came to his senses and had a spiritual awakening. And as he began to turn back to the father, the father with open arms was waiting for him. And when he came home, he hugged him. He brought him in. He says, what's lost is found. What's dead is alive. Let's celebrate. We're throwing a feast. We're having a party. This is how Jesus talks about people coming to faith in Jesus. It's a party. This is God's heart. There's there's just something in every one of these stories that you see. The lost sheep, when it's found, it happens. The lost coin, when it's found, it happens. The lost son, when he's found, it happens. There is rejoicing in a party in the Father's house. This is what happens. A celebratory spirit If you've ever come back to God, been found by God, you have a reason to celebrate because you were lost and now you're found. You were dead, now you're alive. You are now experiencing the peace from your past, a purpose for living, hope for your future. Alan Hirsch says, party is sacrament. Like, you know, sacraments in the church, these things that we we hold as essential or, or valuable 
uh, to the church. Things like Lord's Supper, baptism, things like this. He says, party is sacrament. You probably won't find it in a list of sacraments, but is it not a sacrament to God? All throughout the Old Testament, the festivals and feasts, the parties of God were to remember and to celebrate. And we come to the New Testament, Luke 15, and Jesus is telling us to party and to celebrate. He says, have we lost something when it comes to celebration? Have we lost something? Could it be possible that we're more like the religious leaders of Jesus' day? The things that ought to be celebrated sometimes aren't celebrated to the level they should because of something else that maybe we value equally or more so. Kyle Eidelman in his book, One at a Time, tells the story he experienced several years ago in a worship service at church. The service was over. And a man came up to Kyle. He walked up to him and and he said, I think someone should say something to the young man who walked forward wearing a baseball cap. It's really not appropriate to wear that baseball cap in church. And Kyle said, I examined his face just to make sure he wasn't joking. He said, he wasn't. And so Kyle said, oh, you mean the young man who never grew up in church, but walked forward and gave his life to Jesus and put his faith in him and made the decision to be baptized. Do you think I should go up to him and say something about the baseball cap? And Kyle said, this man must not have been well-versed in sarcasm because he says, yes, exactly. Someone should go up to him and say something about that. And Kyle said his adrenaline in that moment, he said, I've, I've, I've been at this moment before with my emotion. And he said, I realize that moment, it's just better for me to walk away right now than to say something I would regret. I would circle back around with this man later. And Kyle just kind of asked the question, how in the world... Could someone be coming home, a sinner coming to Christ, and someone's more concerned about a baseball cap than doing what the angels are doing and celebrating, partying. Partyless Christians today may represent the Pharisees in Jesus' day who lost the heart of God and made their faith about keeping rules and traditions. And by the way, there's not even a rule about wearing a baseball cap to church. Jesus showed up to destroy what the Pharisees had made of religion. He came and he brought partying back. And I want us, in a moment, I want us just to, to look up to what God says about this. So I want everybody to stand up as we read this text from Luke chapter 5 together. Let's stand for the reading of God's word as we hear from the Lord. We're reading from Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32. The text says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Let's pause for a minute. Others. Luke is compassionate in the way that he describes what Matthew and Mark in their gospel correctly label sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. The ones the religious leaders despise, the ones that would not be welcome in religious circles, the ones who likely, in using the term, are probably paid for their work. 
But Levi and Jesus, here we go, were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew in his gospel would add, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew's gospel also uses Levi's other name. Matthew and Mark say it's Levi. In Matthew's gospel, he uses the name Matthew. Likely the name Jesus gave him after he called him to follow him. You may be seated, and I want us to reflect on this text a little bit. The fact that Jesus would even look in the eyes of a tax collector, and then even more appalling than that, call him to follow him, that just would have been shocking in his culture because Levi, Matthew, as a tax collector, would have been considered a traitor. He's working for the Romans. He's not only putting a burden on Jewish life, but he also would have been taking advantage of the situation, and he was well off. He was making money for himself. Tax collectors often took money for themselves. Levi was considered a sinner. He was not welcome in synagogue services. He couldn't participate in those religious services. His money was considered tainted. And if you touched it, you were defiled. He could not serve as a witness. He was not trusted. He was not to be trusted. And Jesus invites him. I think what's mind-boggling to me is Jesus invites him in to come close, to follow him. And the text tells us he leaves everything and he follows Jesus. It's remarkable. And so not only does Jesus invite him, but then Jesus is going to accept an invitation. It's going to go both ways. Because Levi hosts a banquet at his house. And Jesus is, of course, on the guest list. He's now following Jesus. But also on that guest list is this large crowd, a large group of tax collectors and sinners. People considered unclean. They're not welcome in religious circles. And they're eating with Jesus in a culture that considers eating with one another as something very significant and close to their identity. And so we have here, they were eating with Jesus. And maybe it'd be more accurate to say Jesus is eating with them. He's eating with them. He's in his home. The Pharisees are aghast. They're criticizing Jesus to his disciples. And Jesus says, look, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I've not come to call righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus is also shocked by their response because he's saying, don't you get it? It's the whole reason why I came. This is why my followers throw parties. So that we can invite in the invitation list, the guest list, people who are far from God. These are the people I want to be around. Of course, parties. Of course, sinners. What did you expect from me? This is what Jesus is thinking. But religious leaders had come to the place that sometimes you see even in churches today where people think loving sinners and wanting to help win the world is important. But first, we must expect them to wipe their feet before they come in. Clean up their act before they interact with people. Stop the conversation if they use a bad word. And ask them to remove a ball cap before they move toward Jesus. So Matthew quotes Hosea 6, verse 6. Jesus says to the religious leaders, Go and learn what this means. 
which is something you would say to a pupil, a student. So when he says it to the experts and the leaders of the law, the religious leaders, of course, they're quite offended by this. And Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I I desire merciful compassion for people, even those who are in this situation they're in, in the condition they're in because of their own guilt and behavior and actions. I love them. People who have a debilitating physical condition, whatever, I, I want mercy. I want mercy there to help. And the last people that you might imagine joining our party, our group, very well may be the very first people that Jesus is picking. Jesus has a whole different set of priorities than these PhDs. They've got mixed up priorities. They're more concerned about religious piety than they are about people. But when you look at the invitation and you look at Jesus accepting an invitation, when you look at who Jesus is with and where Jesus is at, I think there's a few things maybe we could apply as we move forward, as we even leave this place today. And I want to mention just three of those today. And here's the first one. I'd like for you to consider this. Host an Oikos party. Host an Oikos party. Kyle Adaman mentions these three things in his book, One at a Time. And I'm going to share this with you. Where oikos isn't a Greek word for yogurt. It's not. That's not what it is. It's actually a Greek word for home or, or household. People who are in relational proximity to you, your relational network. This could be your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, the guy in your fantasy football league. It's the moms from your kids' swim lessons group. It's, it's the people you live, work, play. Live, work, playlist. Does that sound familiar? That list where you're praying for those people that you're in relational proximity with every day, the people that you live, work, play, live, play with, your relational proximity to them, praying for them every day. And Levi's party is a great example of an oikos party, relational proximity. The thinking behind an oikos party is to relationally engage people who are spiritually unengaged. Relationally engage people who are spiritually unengaged. It's a kind of party that might deepen connections and build relationships and bridge friendships and create opportunities where you can, you can pray for people and you can share your faith with people and share the gospel with people. It's not a bait and switch kind of thing, not at all. You're building relationships to share. Hoist Okos, that's your relational proximity parties. But I think there's another thing that we can look at when we look at this party of Matthew, which is host a Zenos party. A Zenos party, it's a Greek word for stranger or foreigner. Like in Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. The word strangers, it comes from the Greek word xenos, but the original Greek verse actually uses a compound word, which was philoxenius. That has been translated into the English show hospitality to strangers. A more literal translation would be love strangers. Invite strangers in. Love strangers, welcome strangers. And one of the best ways you can do that is invite them into your home, into your lives. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus invited, talks about a a man who invited people to a party and they were all of his important people and the religious people. And Jesus says, "Why, why don't you invite someone who would be uninvited? Why don't you invite someone in who could never return the favor? Why don't you invite someone who's overlooked and undervalued? How about you invite those kinds of people? Jesus longed to connect to people who were unconnected. 
The thinking behind a Zenos party is to engage those whom other people avoid. And so, Oikos, family, Zenos, stranger, using parties to build bridges to the spiritually unengaged or the overlooked, those in relational proximity to you and those who are a stranger to you, those who share your DNA and those who have very different DNA, where you host people in your home. As you throw a party, it lets people see the joy of Jesus in your life. Someone once described their perception of Christianity like this. Christianity is the haunting fear that someone somewhere is having a good time. That was their perception of Christianity. That someone somewhere is having a good time. It's that haunting fear. I think we need to give people a different view of Jesus by giving a different view of who we are as his followers. Joyless Christianity misrepresents Jesus or misrepresents the will of God. It's unattractive. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, God. Restore to me the joy. And I just want to interject something here as we're talking about hosting a party and hospitality. First of all, by using the word party for Levi's great banquet, because it is quite, it sounds quite exquisite. But for some of you in this room right now, it may leave you thinking that, you know what? Like, I'm not good at that. Like some of you, when you hear me talking about hosting a party and and inviting people in, you're like, I'm not a great entertainer. That's like beyond my ability, my gift mix. You know, I, I, it's very challenging for me to entertain. But I'm not really challenging so much to entertain. Because what I'm challenging you to do is consider hospitality by inviting people into your life and into your home. Corey and I were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago and And Corey was saying, you know, he and his wife Leah have had a lot of conversations about this, about the difference between hospitality and entertainment. Because hospitality is not the same as entertaining. When you're entertaining, there's this idea that everything has to be meticulous, perfect. You know, it's like when you walk in, all the lines in the carpet are perfectly parallel to one another. And the food is exquisite. And the host is this professional barista. And they make a latte and it even has the leaf in it that you would find somewhere on the top. And and the kids are perfectly behaved and there's no messes. And whenever we make it about that, here's what we know about entertainment. It's stressful. It feels like everything has to be perfect before the guests arrive. And the perfection has to continue through the visit with the food and the decor and the conversation and the games. But hospitality is different. Hospitality is not about perfection. It's not about appearances. In fact, hospitality says, I'm not perfect and neither is my home. But come over anyway. Have fellowship. Hospitality is the open door, open policy. Whereas entertaining says, wait until I have everything perfect, then come over. Entertaining is exhausting. And when hospitality is confused with entertaining, it can lead you to not be very hospitable. You give it up altogether. Jen Wilkin She's a a Bible teacher, an author. She's written a piece for the Gospel Coalition entitled, Why Hospitality Beats Entertaining. And she once tweeted this. This was her tweet that she now regrets. She said, moms, 
Keeping an orderly house frees you to exercise hospitality at will. Both the order and the hospitality are examples to your children. That was her tweet. She goes, several years later, I still cringe. Cringe when she thinks of that tweet. She goes, mainly because I have failed to live up to it repeatedly ever since. She goes, I'm just going to presume that my house was spotless on November 6, 2010, when she wrote it. She goes, but it's rarely been so since. More importantly, she says, I regret that tweet because I've come to recognize that the standard it proposed is flawed. It revealed my own lack of understanding about the nature and purpose of hospitality. In my self-righteous desire to offer advice, I had confused hospitality with its evil twin, entertaining. Wilkin describes entertaining as Pinterest-ready landscape with a goal to impress. Entertaining puts a focus on self instead of others. Hospitality may not look Pinterest-ready, but it has a comfortable environment ready for anyone. Hospitality values FaceTime over perfection. It is others-focused. However, Wilkins shares that the two practices can appear similar at times with different motives. The difference, she says, is only the second, only that of hospitality would invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind to pull up a chair and sip from the stemware. She says, our motives are revealed not just in how we set our tables, but in who we invite to join us at the feast. Entertaining invites those whom it will enjoy. Hospitality will even take in all comers. She has since revised her tweet. And now it reads this. Moms, exercise hospitality freely. Clean house or not. To any and all. Willingness and generosity are the hallmarks of a hospitable home. Hospitality. It's a a means by which we imitate our infinitely hospitable God. And it may be one of the greatest evangelistic moves in our day. So you read about Matthew, we read about Levi, and it's like, hey, host a party. Be hospitable. Invite people in, especially those who are far from God. And as I look at the story and I look at Jesus, I think there's another side of this that intrigues me. I find it so interesting. It's not just that There was a party and Jesus was invited along with all these other people, but it's that it's that Jesus attended. He attended the party. Maybe we could say it this way accept invitations to parties. Accept invitations to parties. Now, fortunately, most of our high school kids right now are in high school worship because they might be like, Mom, Wayne said I should go to the party. And they might say that. We do use wisdom in the formative years of our children's lives about which parties they attend. But I'm fascinated by Jesus on this. First, he was invited. He got invited to a party. I mean, it says something about Jesus, because this wasn't the only time or the only one that people wanted him at their parties. And you know what? Maybe we picture Jesus at the party with his clipboard in hand, checking off. Behaviors of people at the party, but I don't think that's how he operated. Even though he was God in the flesh, it doesn't seem to be how he operated. That's not what happened. Second, I, I think it's interesting that not only was he invited to the party, 
But when he was invited, he accepted the invitation and he went. And you know he had to have been in so many socially awkward situations. I mean, you have been too. You've gone to parties. You've gone to places. And in those places, there were some things you personally wouldn't do, perhaps. And you're in a situation where there's some socially awkward moments. Jesus embraced the socially awkward. We, we like comfortable. We don't like socially awkward And so we might avoid things that Jesus would be willing to walk into. He didn't just stay in some little bubble out there. Instead, his choice was to enter in, and we should choose to follow Jesus. He went to enough parties with sinful people that he was actually given a nickname in Matthew 11, 19. Jesus is the one who tells this, and we know it's true. He said, they said of me, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was his nickname, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Of course, they meant it in a derogatory way. They meant it to label him, to cancel him. They thought friend of sinners was the highest evil in Jesus. He saw it as the highest expression of love. In Jesus' culture, to eat with someone was to identify with them. But Jesus, he wasn't concerned about his reputation or guilt by association. He wasn't trying to prop up his image or put other people down. He came close to those who were shunned, even by upstanding religious people. In Luke 19, it was Zacchaeus. In Matthew chapter 9 and Luke 5, it was Levi and all of his cronies. I mean, typically, really bad people don't want to hang around really good people and vice versa. And yet we've got hardcore sinners sitting at a table with Jesus, listening, laughing, asking questions, crying. Jesus let them belong before they even believed or behaved. He didn't wink at sin. But he didn't write sinners off either. And one of the questions maybe we could ask ourselves is, are we invited to parties? Like, are you invited to anything? With a friend or a neighbor or people you work with? Do they want to be around you? Are are you positive or fun or encouraging? Or do you, you not get the invite because people assume that you stand in the corner with a disapproving stink eye with your clipboard in hand? Jesus showed mercy to those who didn't deserve it. He befriended the worst of sinners. He befriends me. Jesus sees our sin more clearly than anyone, and he loves us more deeply than anyone. Tim Harlow tells the story in his book, Life on Mission, how he became friends with a guy when they were working out. And um, he said they, they would go to to this workout facility and he'd work out with him and he goes, this guy was massive, big, uh, biker kind of guy. He was rough. I mean, he was not a follower of Jesus whatsoever. In fact, often he would gawk and comment at every woman in the place and his language was just foul as could be. He was huge and scary looking. He said, I have to admit, he goes, I enjoyed working out with him because he was fun to work out with. He made me feel cool and he pushed me. Tim Harlow's a preacher, by the way. And Tim said, it was messy. He says, but one day he decided to work out with me and he was wearing a horrendously inappropriate shirt. He said it was a t-shirt from this strip club and he goes, I even tried to get him to turn it inside out to no avail. He was not about to do that. He goes, I felt so awkward, Tim says. I felt so awkward being there. Most of the people at the health club know I'm a preacher and, and here I am working out with this guy who's a gnarly biker in a stripper t-shirt because it just felt so awkward in a moment there until right in that moment I remembered I was supposed to look like Jesus 
not a respectable pastor. He said, I remembered the Matthew party, how Jesus was a friend of sinners, and we should be too. And that memory for Tim in that moment totally changed his perspective. Jesus is inviting you to his table, his banqueting table. It's an open invitation to the lost and to the broken and the sinner and the guilty and the overlooked and the overworked. He is inviting you. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is just to accept his invitation. Accept his invitation. He's willing to come to you. Come to him. He's willing to come to you. He already has come to you. He came in the flesh to pay the price for our sins on a cross to become our substitute to die for us. While we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners. May we have the heart of Jesus. May we come to Jesus. And may we go in the spirit of Jesus to the people in this world who are hurting or broken or lost. Invite others just as Jesus has invited you. And as you stand to your feet today, I want this to be our prayer. As we go forward from this place, I want it to be our prayer. Who will, who will you invite? Who will you invite? When you're invited, where will you go? To whom will you go? I pray that the Matthew party would open our hearts to inviting people in and going to the lost and broken in our world. So Jesus, we're praying that right now. That Jesus, we would look like you. We would reflect you. We would talk like you. We could welcome and love people the way you welcome and love them. We would go to places just like you went, showing your love. And we thank you for that love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want you to know at this time, if you would like to pray with someone today, if you'd like to make a a decision to follow Jesus today, if you want to become a member of this church today, you want to take a step of faith today, you just, whatever that is, I, I would love to meet you here at Decision Point in person and talk with you, but you can also take the card in the seat pocket in front of you and begin a conversation there and drop it in a box as you leave. If you're watching online, you can just go to that link you see on your screen and to begin the conversation. My prayer is that you would go in the power and grace of Jesus. Let's make that our prayer as we sing. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.